Well, good morning, Sovereign Grace. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Genesis 7, and we're really going to be looking at Genesis 7, 1 through 24 this morning as we continue to consider this narrative of God's flood judgment. We looked at 1 through 5 last week, some, Genesis 7, 1 through 5, last week, some. We will continue there this morning and actually go through the entire story of the triumphing of the flood waters over the earth. So let's look there at Genesis 7. We'll start reading in verse 1. Genesis 7, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of the animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, Male and female went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year, 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains were under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing 
that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we consider what it is that you did in history in judging the wickedness of mankind and in saving Noah and his household through that flood judgment, as well as the animals brought forward through the flood for the purpose of a new creation. We pray that as we consider this passage in which your judgment triumphs gloriously over the earth, that we would also see your loving kindness in the salvation of your people. Father, help us to understand your word. We pray the Spirit would illumine our minds so we hear the word and we hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we return to Genesis 7. As we consider the flood judgment God is bringing upon the whole earth for the wickedness of man. And as we do, we're going to look at Genesis 7, 1 through 24 under three headings. First, the command to be saved. Now we looked at that in some depth last week, but we're going to look at other details with regard to it. The command to be saved is first in Genesis 7, 1 through 5. Second, we're going to consider the day of salvation. In Genesis 7, 6 through 16. And finally, the judgment of God in verses 17 through 24. So let's look at our first heading, the command to be saved, Genesis 7, 1 through 5. And hear this with me again, as we'll note several aspects of this just after. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household... For I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now we mentioned this last week. God commands Noah and his family to enter the ark of salvation. And we spent some time there. But let's look at verse 2 and following. Take with you seven pairs, seven pairs of all clean animals. The male and his mate and a pair of the animals that are not clean. The male and his mate and seven pairs of The birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Just one note there. In Genesis 6, we learn that he's supposed to take a pair of each kind of animal, male and female. In Genesis 7, we're getting more detail on that. One pair of the unclean animals, but actually seven pairs of the clean animals. And we'll talk about why there's seven pairs of the clean animals versus one pair of the unclean animals. Now go down to verse 4. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. So he also tells Noah... That the flood is coming in seven days. And he will pour out 
or pour down rain, as well as the water bursting forth from under the ground, for 40 days and for 40 nights. The pattern of the Lord, I want to notice some patterns here in these details I've just announced. The pattern of the Lord keeping a seven-day calendar, pointing us to the Sabbath, continues throughout Moses' writing. The Lord kept a seven-day calendar in the creation, and now he's announcing another seven-day calendar here, and it will continue throughout Moses' writing. We're also pointed to a pattern of 40 days and 40 nights that will have resonance in the Exodus and in the life of Christ when he's tempted in the wilderness. But here's the primary idea I want to get at this morning. God's people are being called into the ark of salvation. And they're being pointed to their purpose as those who are set apart for worship. They're being pointed, even as they're being saved on the ark, called in for salvation, it isn't merely so they might be rescued from the floodwaters of God's judgment, but so that they might worship God or fulfill their purpose in doing that. The teaching that God's people are set apart for worship and that they can only come before him if their sins are atoned for via a sacrificial offering is not new to the Mosaic Covenant. And I point that out because you're going to see why the clean animals, the need for a sacrificial atonement. Man was always created to dwell with God. Always. And we were always set apart for worship. And we can see that in the gift of Sabbath. Look at the end of the six days of creation, the seventh day. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. Understand that this is capping the creation week. And we're about to complete a week in which decreation will start. But notice how the creation week is capped in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. This isn't the Lord taking a nap because he's tired. This is him completing his work of creation. And he continues to govern his creation or work by way of providence and redemption. But he's completing that work of creation and then he's telling us something about the seventh day. So God blessed the seventh day, verse 3, and made it holy. It is the day, only day God blesses and sets apart for the purpose of worship. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God created in six days. We're going to learn in the Ten Commandments. And on the seventh day he rested. Therefore we ought to labor six days. And on the seventh day we ought to rest. And that rest is a putting away of your secular work and worshiping. The purpose of the rest was not to take a nap. Because you're really tired from the six days of work. The purpose of the rest was to have a change in the kind of activity you were participating in. Now for the purpose of worship set apart as holy for that purpose. And that was known before the Ten Commandments. Say, well, that comes in the Ten Commandments. But actually, that pattern is set in Genesis 2, that our whole purpose of existence is for the seventh day, if you will. 
That's the ultimate purpose. So that we might be set apart to worship God, to dwell with him. And you can see God condemning Israel for failing to keep Sabbath before the Mosaic Covenant's given. The Mosaic Covenant is given in Exodus 19 through 24. Expressly 20 through 24, but 19 gives us the setup or the prologue for that. But prior to that, look over at Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. I want you to hear this language. As the people were in the wilderness on the way to Mount Sinai, God had said, basically, I'll give you manna from heaven for six days, etc. I'll provide for you, you know, in various ways. You're supposed to gather double on Friday because on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, you're not supposed to work at all. You're not supposed to gather anything, etc. Now notice verse 23 of Exodus 16. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. That's Moses speaking to Israel. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That's before the Mosaic Covenant, before the giving of the Ten Commandments. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So this is quail actually coming up here. That's why it doesn't stink. That's the message. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Note this, both quail and bread are coming to them six days And on the sixth day, they're supposed to gather twice as much for the seventh day because they're to rest and not violate God's holy command that they be set apart for worship on the seventh day. That's before the Mosaic Covenant. That is a result of they ought to have known that because it is in the pattern of creation. It is always that way. They are set apart for worship. Further, the need for atoning sacrifices. So, Being set apart for Sabbath day worship is in their pattern. And you're going to see that seven-day pattern in God's announcement to Noah about the coming flood. But further than that, the need for atoning sacrifices to be offered in order that we might acceptably come before God in worship has always been known. It's always been the pattern since the fall of man. Abel understood that in Genesis 4. So he brings an acceptable sacrifice. And Noah understands this. Thus Noah can be told to bring extra what? Seven pairs of what kind of animals? Clean animals. One pair of unclean animals. Why? Because clean animals are for sacrificing. So you have to have extra. So you don't wipe out all the clean animals. Unclean animals are not for sacrificing. And Noah knows what clean animals are and what unclean animals are. And he knows about God's seventh day pattern. He knows about that. He knows about clean animals and unclean animals. And he knows he needs an atoning sacrifice. We'll see that in chapter 8 when Noah gets off the ark 
And the first thing he does is builds an altar and offers an atoning sacrifice for his sin. We are shown this again and again because we need to understand that Noah's not being just saved from something, the floodwaters of God's judgment, but Noah's being saved to something, worship. He's being saved to something. And friends, we don't need to just be saved from something, God's wrath for our sin. We need to be saved to something, the worship of God. We need to be saved from the wrath of God, justly bearing down upon us for our sins. And in Christ, if you will, Christ is the ark that we must come into if we're going to be saved. We must believe in Christ and be united to him to be saved. But we must also remember that our salvation is to something. We're saved to dwelling with God. Christ offers himself as an atoning sacrifice so that we might be restored, set apart to worship in God's dwelling place. Apart from Christ, your atoning sacrifice, you may not draw near to God and worship. You were created to worship God. Your purpose, as it says in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is your chief end. That is only possible, it's only possible through being sanctified by the atoning blood of Christ. All of these atoning sacrifices are types of the true atoning sacrifice. They offered Christ by the Spirit through faith in typical and shadowy ways, but they were not, Hebrews 10.1, the true form of these realities. It is for this reason that when they were offering these kinds of sacrifices, they had to be, keep being offered again and again and again. But when Christ, the true form of these realities, came, he put an end to them all by a single sacrifice of himself. And it is because Jesus offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins in the offering of himself that we and they are forgiven. And it is because of Jesus that we can draw near and worship. So friends, if you hope to be saved from the great day of wrath to come, and if you hope to draw near to God and worship, then you must come through the ark of your salvation, the atonement for your sins, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ bids you to come to him and be saved. And I bid you to obey the gospel. What is the gospel call or command? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Children, I trust your parents bring you each Sunday and read the Bible with you and pray with you and model Christ to you. And I am certain that they're doing that in part because they desire that you would be saved. Your mom and dad want you to be saved. They want you to trust in Christ. And I want to be clear you must look to Christ and be saved. The faith of your parents cannot save you. Cannot save you. You must trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins as well. Yes, the adults in here need to believe in Jesus. But so do you. You need to trust in him. No matter how young you are, you need to look to Christ and be saved from your sins. You sin too. 
And you need Christ to. Yes, you throw temper tantrums and sin, right? Adults throw them too. Adults are just much more devastating temper tantrums than children. But you sort of all sin and fall short of the glory of God. You all do that and you all need Christ to be saved. So you need to come to him for salvation. Second, let's consider our second heading. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If our first heading is that we need to come to Christ for salvation, the command to be saved in him, the true ark, then the second one is that today is the day of salvation. We're going to look at verses 6 in Genesis 7, verses 6 through 16. But as we look at the passage, I want you to pay attention to certain things as we read. First, Note the lengthy and repetitive description here. It's lengthy and repetitive. They're almost, in fact, with the animals seems to be an an almost, if you will, narratively, an almost endless procession of all the creatures from across the earth streaming into the ark of salvation. And the description of the creatures in this passage intentionally echoes the language of Genesis 1. So you hear the beasts of the field according to their kinds, etc., etc., And they're coming to the one place, all these animals and Noah's family are coming to the one place where salvation is available. So look with me at Genesis 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Remember, the Lord warned him at 500 years old, said to start building the ark. So you can imagine how much time has passed and how long all this has taken. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. In other words, somehow there's some kind of watery deposits under the earth. The fountains of the great deep burst forth. You know we still have that, right? The water table. Anyway, just if you weren't aware, there's still water under there. Okay, but, all right, that's where you get it from. It doesn't just, you turn on a tap, it doesn't just magically come out, right? He goes on to say, So, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. All right, I want to stop there for a second. As we read that, I want to notice as we get to Genesis six thirteen through 16, we're going to see a couple other details I want to pick up on, and you're going to see a repetitiveness about the animals again, and Noah's family and the animals again. Okay, It's just wanting to emphasize that they all got onto the ark, the only place they could be saved. Now notice what it says in verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. That's a repeat, if you will, of the language of the sixth day and the creation, etc. 
They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. On the very same day, verse 13, I want you to pay attention to that language. On the very same day, verse 13. The very same day that the floodwaters burst forth from the ground and poured down from the heavens, on that very same day, they all went into the ark. Now this phrase, on the very same day in Hebrew, is a rare phrase. It's a rare phrase, only used a few more times in all the Old Testament, specifically in the Torah or the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. And it stresses how memorable an occasion is. And in fact, it is an occasion, in each case, that points forward to a day of salvation through judgment. Points forward to a day of salvation through judgment. So we will see this phrase used again in Genesis 17, verses 23 and 26. For the very same day when Abraham received the sign or the covenant sign of circumcision. God commanded him, this is my covenant, which shall be in the foreskin of your flesh, circumcision. On the very same day, Abraham received the sign. And the sign of circumcision was a bloody sign that pointed forward to the cutting of Christ at the cross. If Abraham did not receive the sign, he would be cut off from the covenant blessings. If a man refused the covenant sign, the man was refusing to believe God's promise to save him through the judgment of another, i.e. the seed of the woman, the son of Abraham. We also see on the very same day used in Exodus 12. Some of you already know what passage that is. You say, yeah, Exodus 12. I mean what's happening in that passage, the Passover. In verses 41 and 51, we read the very same day. On the very same day of the Passover, the Lord took Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. On the very same day. The very same day the Lord commanded them to receive the Passover, that very same day the Lord brought them out of the Exodus. Again, we have another picture of salvation through judgment. Why do I pick up this emphasis? Because of what's happening here. On the very same day that the Lord's judgment is coming upon the earth, those whom he is saving enter the ark of their salvation. Now look at verse 16, last textual note. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, that being Noah. Now note this. And the Lord shut him in. And the Lord shut him in. This is kind of a dramatic statement, isn't it? The Lord is both saving and judging here. He's doing both. Those whom the Lord are saving are on the ark. And the Lord has graciously shut them in. Shielding them from the floodwaters of his judgment. But those who do not enter the ark on that very same day, are shut out from the ark. They're shut out and left out for the floodwaters of God's judgment. The door is closed. 
There is no more entrance. There is only the flood of judgment. Friends, I point this out because today, today is the day of salvation. And we talk about today is the day of salvation. I've said this before, but I want you to hear this. This isn't some manipulative language that the apostle Paul is using in 2 Corinthians when he says today is the day of salvation. Like, be careful. You might leave from this sermon I'm giving and go out there and get hit by a car and die and go to hell. Like, that's not what he's saying. When he says today is the day of salvation, he's talking about the eschaton. In other words, the age in which we're in. Right now, God is saving. But when Jesus returns tomorrow, today is the day of salvation. When he returns in that great, if you will, eschatological tomorrow, then judgment comes. Then judgment comes. This is the day in which you can be saved. The Lord is graciously in our era now gathering his people from every tribe and tongue and nation into the greater ark who is Christ. This is the day in which you can be saved. But we do not know when the Lord will return and judgment will begin. We do not know. Look at with me. Keep your hand there in Genesis 7. Look over at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Jesus is going to use this language on the Olivet Discourse as he talks about his returning again in judgment. He's telling, if you remember the apostles in the last week of his life, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to resurrect. He's explained that. They haven't quite understood it fully. They will. They will in a few days from this. This is all of it. Discourse is on Tuesday of the last week of his life. And here he is outside the temple. He's gone up on the mountain outside the temple with them. And he's telling them, listen, there's a day coming when I return when I'm going to judge the living and the dead. Right now I'm saving, but the day is coming when I'm going to judge. And he warns them about that. So look at verse 37. Matthew 24 and verse 37. Just said, I'm coming. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Now verse 37. No one knows the day or the hour. I'm returning. For as were the days of Noah. Notice that. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, hear what he's saying. For over a hundred years from the time Noah was warning them and building the ark, they're all marrying and giving in marriage. They're all eating and drinking and being merry. Their eyes are set here on the earth on their own sin and idolatry. They are not only not listening to Noah, but not mocking him. He's building this ark, and they are refusing to believe the prophet that the flood of God's judgment is coming. They're refusing to come to the ark that they might be saved. And then all of a sudden, they're caught unaware. They don't know what day the flood is coming. They don't really even believe it is coming. And Jesus says, my return will be like that. The world will be caught up in eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And their eyes will be all set down here on earthly things, caught up in their own sin. They won't expect it at all. And then I'll come. And it'll be like the flood. Unbelievers will be swept away. Interestingly, by the way, believers will be left behind. 
in case you've heard the opposite. In the flood, it was good if you weren't swept away, taken away by the floodwaters of God's judgment. You understand that? It was good if you were left behind. That's the analogy he's using. Because you're on the ark of salvation. When Christ descends in judgment, it's good if you're left behind for salvation and not swept away in judgment. We tend to misuse this passage when we talk about the end. But the point here is we need to be prepared for Christ's return. We need to be prepared for Christ's return. And the only way to be prepared is to come into the ark who is Christ while the Lord beckons you to come. Children, I know, I especially want to address those of you who are teens. You're so young, teenagers involved in your schoolwork and your sports and your whatever, music and drama and art, whatever the things you are doing, and thinking about your future and college and what kind of career you might want and who you might eventually find to marry and what sort of car you might drive if your parents ever let you do that, etc., etc. You're so busy consumed with that. You almost tend to think, and if you're anything like I was at your age... I'll get to following the Lord when I'm older and I've already had my fill of my good times. I'll get to putting my mind there once I'm older. But I want you to hear this, especially teens, you do not know at what hour the Lord is returning. So you need to trust him now. You don't know if there's going to be a day when you arrive at 16 and get to drive. You don't know if there's going to be a day when you graduate from high school. You don't know if there's going to be college for you or a career or marriage. You don't know any of that. Jesus could return at any time. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, don't plan for that. I'm not saying you should go home and tell your parents. My application today is that I really can just kick back and not do anything because I don't know that I even have a future to plan for. That is not the application. And plan... But understand the Lord directs your steps. That means you need to have your eyes set on him and be looking to Christ. And your plans are always in an open hand. Always. You need to trust Christ now and look to him in faith and follow him after him now. And whatever plans you make in life, they need to be second to setting your eyes and hearts and hopes on Jesus. This is the day, the age in which the Lord is inviting you Onto the ark who is Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. But tomorrow is that day or that age in which he returns and he shuts the door of the ark and his judgment fully and finally rains down upon the earth. And that leads to our final heading, the judgment day. Look back at Genesis 7 and verse 17. Genesis 7 and verse 17. And we'll read through verse 24. And as we read 17 to 24, here's what I want you to notice. How many times you hear the waters are increasing or prevailing. And by the word, the word for prevailing can also be translated triumphing. The triumphant flood waters of God's judgment. Notice the Emphasis in verses 17 through 24. The flood continued 
40 days on the earth, the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed, triumphed, and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. Are you guys getting the point? It's being said again. And the waters prevailed or triumphed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains were under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed or triumphed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, roughly 22 and a half feet deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out. Now notice you heard that language a lot in verses 1 through 5. He blotted out. This isn't just some kind of passive floodwaters of death. This is God actively judging and putting everything to death. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed, or triumphed, on the earth. 150 days. Behold the power of the judgment of our Lord. The Lord made this whole creation, and now he has returned the creation to the watery state it was at the beginning. If you remember in Genesis 1-2, when the waters covered the face of the earth, and it was through the day two and day three that God separated the waters so that dry ground could appear, so that we could finally inhabit the earth, so it would be habitable. Now the Lord, who was powerful enough to create all of this in the space of six days, exercises his power and judgment and covers it all again with water. Reversing, reversing everything you had done in the creation in that sense. The waters which covered the face of the earth now cover it once again. This is a judgment of radical decreation. And the emphasis here is upon how the waters triumphed mightily upon the earth. Life did not simply die. It was blotted out by the Lord. God is holy. Here's the message. God is holy and God is powerful and he is not to be trifled with. Heed the call to enter the ark who is Christ or face the final judgment of God when he will not only strike down his enemies but cast them into unquenchable fire. Friends, Please do not count the patience of the Lord as indulgence or tolerance of your sin or affirmation for your sin. The Lord's judgment is coming. He is patient so that he might save all his people. Jason read from 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10 this morning. You saw it. Some false teachers were proclaiming, hey, look, why is it taking the Lord so long to come back in judgment? And Peter's response is, listen, a thousand years is as a day for the Lord, and a day is as a thousand years. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some think he is. What he's doing is he's being patient so that he might save all his people. So he might save them. 
But one day, his patience will come to an end. And when it does come to an end, the world will descend into fiery judgment at the return of Christ. God's judgment is coming. He is being patient. So if you don't know Christ, then you need to trust in him now. If you don't know him, I'd love to speak to you after the service about what it means to know him. There's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Christ alone saves. And you ought to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But beloved, if you have believed in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, then you are his and he is yours. And what kind of people ought you to be as you wait for him? Go to 2 Peter 3. I'll pick up where Jason left off. We'll pick up in verse 11. 2 Peter 3. What sort of people ought you to be, Christians, as you wait for him? 2 Peter, it's just before 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and then Revelation. So almost the end of your Bible. 2 Peter 3, and in verse 11, talking about the earth to be dissolved by fire of judgment. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What sort of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives waiting for the new heavens and new earth. Waiting for the new heavens and new earth. Everybody's afraid of global warming. This is global warming that will wipe out all the earth. Here it is. God coming in fiery judgment. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, verse 14, those who are walking in holiness and godliness, waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. See, we need to live holy and godly lives. We want to strive to be those without spot or blemish who are at peace. We need to look forward to the new heavens and new earth. And we need to wait patiently for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, counting his patience with us as our salvation. One last word for those of you who are continually burdened, because I know some of you are continually burdened with guilt and fear, struggling mightily with the assurance of your salvation, and who wonder, can I keep hold of Christ until his return? I don't think I can. As you patiently wait for the Lord Jesus to return, learn the lesson of Genesis 7, 16. The Lord shut Noah into the ark of his salvation. Learn the lesson. The Lord saved Noah, and the Lord held him fast in the ark through all the tumults of his judgment. If you are in Christ through faith, the Lord has shut you into him as well. He has taken hold of you by his loving, gracious, and almighty hand, and no one can snatch you out of his hand. No one. Trust him who has saved you to hold you fast to the end. He 
will hold you fast. May we respond to such grace in Christ by singing his praises and living for his glory. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to trust in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the ark of our salvation, to count your patience as salvation for us, to live holy and godly lives, blameless in our generation, to have our eyes set on the new heavens and the new earth. May we know and remember that as you shut Noah in, so protecting him from the floodwaters of judgment, you have taken hold of us in your almighty hand in which none can snatch us out. May we give thanks. Praise your name as the one who holds us fast. May we sing and live in such a way that we glorify your son. And may those who do not trust in Christ enter the ark of their salvation in Jesus Christ and know peace in him. In Jesus' name, amen.